welcome to the Steroids Podcast with your host, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Steroids Podcast is brought to you by Ultimate Guide to Roids, 109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Now, for the first time in bodybuilding history, you have someone with no corporate interests and no obligation to please anyone, not walking on eggshells to not offend. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the information, the whole information, the whole truth, not a full truth and a half-truth. Full truth. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the keys to the Lamborghini, gives you the information, and lets you decide what to do with it. It's a crime this information has been suppressed this long. Now let's get on with the podcast. That is my curse! That's the intro song, guys. My curse. You know... The first question for today is going to be by Steven, and this is an important one. Welcome to the Steroids Podcast, by the way. This is your host, Dan, the bodybuilder of Thailand, of course, who will be returning to Thailand next month. That's right, guys. That's right. I got to return to my place of peace. I got to return to my place of my birth. Not my, uh, not my physical birth, but the birth of the character you see today, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Um, you know what? I was going to go to Eastern Europe this year, okay? But it got too late. It got too late in the year, and now it's winter, and uh, I'm going to have to go in the spring, so I'm going to wait out the winter in Thailand. So the first question today is from Stephen. And he asks, back pain and muscle pain from heavy compound lifts, any remedy? Yeah. So the first thing is that if you're a weightlifter and you're a serious weightlifter, you're lifting all the time. If you're not doing some kind of soft tissue work, uh, your life is not going to be as good as if you were. So soft tissue work can go from anywhere from getting a massage to doing foam rolling or what I do. I do a little bit of foam rolling, but I also have this thing called a Theracane, which is like a cane that reaches around and you can push it into knots in your muscles and, and put pressure on them. And then the thing that I do the most and rely on the most is uh, rolling on a baseball or a croquet ball or a lacrosse ball, some kind of hard, small ball. Uh, personally, I use a croquet ball because it's rock hard and uh, I put all my weight on it and I roll the tissue of the muscles around you know wherever I'm having pain or wherever I'm having knots I roll the muscles in that area around with my body weight on top of the hard small ball and uh, it hurts it hurts really badly uh, but if you stay on one spot that's especially sensitive it'll start to get more and more intense the pain and then after about 20 seconds it peaks and then you'll feel it start decreasing or the pain draining away uh, until you reach about 45 seconds. And then that's like one session. And usually to get uh, a muscle to really like release, you got to do anywhere from like 5 to 
10 or even 15 sessions. Uh, and then that causes so many problems in your body that happen because of weightlifting to go away. So when, when muscles, and you're talking about back pain, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about back pain and how this applies to back pain. But hear me out first, okay? When muscles um, are put under stress or under strain over and over again, repeated body movements, the body starts making adaptations to fortify those positions and make those positions stronger if they're like a stressful position, okay? So this is why when you go to Asia and you see women who have been hunched over, like doing that thing where they squat down and hunch over, um, you know, they've been doing that habitually all their life. By the time, time they're an old woman, their spine is like curved because that was a stressful position to be in and they're in it for a long time. And then their body, because that's a stressful position, that's a stimulus. Their body makes fortifications to make that position stronger and less likely to become injured if something happened. So this also happens with everything you do like guys you know when you're typing on the computer or people who have desk jobs people who use the computer a lot people who use a mouse okay uh the top you probably have it if you're listening to this you probably have this because everybody uses computers so much the top of your forearms your forearm extensor muscles will be like cord like and very hard and you can't press them in they're not like a flexible muscle and now feel the muscle on the other side where you're not, uh, you know, on the, the side of, this, of your forearm the same as the palm of your hand. Or feel your bicep, feel your shoulder. All these muscles are not going to have that hard texture like that. Like that, uh, the uh, top of your forearms, your forearm extensor muscles have, okay? And your for forearm extensor muscles are not supposed to feel like that. They're supposed to feel like every other muscle in your body, okay? But because these are being used so much, the body makes fortifications, and that's why people have wrist pain, finger problems, hand problems. They say, oh, I have carpal tunnel. It's really these forearm extensor muscles are screwed up, and so many people have this screwed up, and you can feel if you have it right now by feeling around for this hard, cord-like muscle that is not the texture of all the other muscles, okay? All the muscles are made of the same material. So if that one is different, it's because there's a problem. And it's because of the fact that you're holding your hands in that position all day long. And so those forearm extensor muscles are under strain because they're flexed. Because if you if the forearm extensor muscles deflexed, okay, the hand's going to drop. And the, it's going to drop forward and the fingers are going to be pointing towards the ground. But if those things are contracted, like you keep them all day, then they're in this contracted position all day long, okay? Day after day after day. And the body starts making fortifications. So it makes these little adhesions. It's a form of connective tissue that go between your fibers and fortify those positions, keep them in these knots or hard spots. I went to the doctor for this stuff um, back when before... Uh, I knew how to handle them, and they told me there's nothing we can do for you. Um, you're just going to have to take opiate pain pills. So uh, that was totally unacceptable. So that was how I figured this stuff out. And when you talk about professional athletes, 
Um, most of them are having soft tissue work done on them. So something as simple as massage can help you take care of this problem. But if you put your muscles through, through paths of motion that are very stressful on them, they're going to get these adhesions that keep them in these contracted positions all the time. Um, so you have to do something about it. Another thing that they can do is that they, they always refer pain to the joints in the area. So that's why the one on the forearms that you get from typing refers pain down to your wrists and make people think they have carpal tunnel or that they're getting arthritis in their fingers. But the ones um, in the back can make you feel like you have back pain or can make it feel like you're having pain when you're trying to breathe and your ribs are needing to expand, or can make you feel like you have like sciatica, like sciatic nerve pain, okay? There's the one that is a, you know what? This is the most common injection spot. So because this is a common steroid injection spot, um, this is also a, an issue um, because you're doing squatting, you're doing deadlifting where you're bending over, and that out that outer that upper outer glute area gets pulled and stressed on there. There's this muscle down there called gluteus minimus, and it connects a part of your pelvis to the iliac crest area. That's the part that you can feel if you reach down and feel for your hip bones um, of the uh, of the hips. It contracts just this little part, the pelvis, and then the the leg area, part of the femur, um, to this to this area. It connects it together. And when you do these movements, it puts a lot of stress on that little muscle there that uh, has that joint connectivity. And it gets stressed out. And then on top of it, you're doing injections into that spot, the upper outer glute, upper outer quadrant of your glute. You're doing injections to that spot as well. And the scar tissue adhesions are growing. And so you can think you have sciatica, which is like a shooting pain, like nerve pain down the sides of your legs, especially when you bend over. And so that's coming from this spot. Another thing is you can think that you have uh, bad discs in your back and it's really these little bony protrusions on the, uh, where your hip bones, where your pelvis, you can feel in the back and you have like those dimples in your hip bones. There's these little like bony protrusions that are the top of your pelvis in those areas that you can feel with your thumbs if you reach back there. And if you feel around on those thumbs, you'll feel that like there's there's a bit of muscle on there and it gets sore when you feel it if you have a problem, okay? And uh, those are the the origins of some of the, the lower back muscles. And when they, they can get inflamed from doing things like, uh, like squatting or deadlifting or overextending uh, or doing these movements over and over again, uh, and so they can they can get inflamed and irritated from having so much tension tension and pulling on them and it can make uh it can make them contract because of this inflammation that happens there and these fortifications adhesions they're growing there to make it a stronger position since it's irritated on a regular basis and then when that does that it puts pressure on your discs and so they feel like uh you may feel like you have a bulging disc in your back but you really don't it's this thing going here which is like an artificial pressure between your discs and it's coming from these protrusions these little bony protrusions where this uh it's part of the insertion on some of your lower back muscles where the the origin of the muscle starts and then goes across uh, and extends your back so these are these are things that this can cause back pain okay and that was steven's question was any way is there any remedy for fixing back pain and muscle pain from heavy compounds lifts, compound lifts. 
And uh, that's the thing is soft tissue work and finding out these little areas that cause these problems. A lot of the joint issues that you have, if you go to the doctor and they say, we can't treat this, there's nothing wrong with you, stuff like that. Or they say, like, you have tendinitis. Or, you know, you're a young guy and they're like, you have arthritis. It's like, no, man, these guys, like doctors, they have no concept of soft tissue injury. They, they're like, they're only going on structural things and things that they um, can see. And then they can give you like medication and stuff like that to fix your problems. Uh, this, so when you go to them and they say, there's nothing wrong with you and you know there's something wrong with you. That's when you you got to take things into your own hands, man. That's how I found out about this stuff. Working on myself. Working on myself. Um, trigger point therapy. Trigger point um, muscle therapy is something that can help you. Help you to relieve old injuries. And, you know, if you may have a joint injury and you may think that you need surgery, you know, trying this kind of stuff out first can be a good idea. All right, next question is from Maurice, and he asks, what do you think about using Superdraw 15 milligrams every other day? Is like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Oh, okay. So what he really said was 15 milligrams every other day. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then 40 milligrams on the days that he's not taking Anavar. So Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. <laughs> Sorry, 40 milligrams Anavar on the t days that he's not taking Superdraw. And then he's going to take nothing on Sunday. So he's doing like a kind of alternating uh, orals on different days throughout the week, alternating between Superdraw 15 milligrams and Anavar 40 milligrams, and then taking nothing on Saturday, on Sunday. Uh, so one day a week off completely. Uh, I'm assuming he's taking testosterone at the same time. I think that sounds good. I think that sounds like interesting um so the thing with how steroids work is that they attach to androgen receptors and transmit a message and the androgen receptor is on the outside of the cell the muscle cell or whatever cell the, the androgen or the steroid is stimulating and it transmits a message to the nucleus of the cell where the dna is and makes the dna express itself differently okay so that's the main way that they work. They all they also work in other ways. Like they work um, completely. They have they have some effects that come on the moment that you take them. Okay, but other effects need to get to that that DNA, transmit that message, that DNA in the cell in order to start making an effect and doing, you know, the full effects or even the main effects of the roid. So with that. Um, makes sense to me that you'd want that constant st stimulus daily stimulus in there to be like transmitting that message constantly and getting the full effect of the drug um, but you will be having that happen somewhat doing it every other day it won't be but I'm just thinking about how it could be as strong as possible right this probably won't be as strong as possible I don't think you'll get the strongest effect from Anavar or the strongest effect from Superdraw because uh, you're you're not letting them build up in your system and hitting that signal to transmit that message to make your DNA express itself differently every day and these things are in and out of your system after about nine hours you know they're gone after after nine 
some of the some of the ones like D ball, they only they only last like nine, twelve hours, but then other ones of them last like twenty four hours when they're still producing like a noticeable effect. Um on paper at least, when you look at studies, that's how long that they're producing effects. Um but in the real world I think they produce effects for a bit longer. So I don't really think that I would do that as far as what do you think about Superdraw 15 milligrams every other day alternated with 40 milligrams Anivar every other day. Um, it seems like a healthier way to run Superdraw, and then you can also run the Anivar in there too, it sounds like, every other day to get some gains. But I just don't think that sounds like the optimal way to do it. Next question is from College Rower. Experience using B6 vitamin to control prolactin instead of caber. Okay, I went over this in the last podcast, the Trenbolone episode of the podcast. And uh, the answer is that vitamin B6, uh, it, it says on paper, yes, on studies, that it reduces prolactin. But as far as using Trenbolone and being on Trenbolone and using uh, vitamin B6 to reduce your prolactin... Uh, that's gonna be that's gonna blow up in your face. So uh, know this, know this. I've experimented with it. Uh, it does not do anything in the real world to be able to combat the prolactin effects caused by trenbolone. So uh, if you don't have cabergolin or premipexil on hand and you get uh, those prolactin induced side effects and you try to attack it with B6, that's gonna be a freaking nightmare. All right, next question. Big Duke asks, <laughs> how do you inject your glutes? Do you lay down? What are your favorite injection spots? Well, you already know I got an infection from shooting bacteria, flesh-eating bacteria-laced underground lab gear into my thigh. So I definitely, definitely do not inject there anymore. My uh, My favorite injection spot is the first injection spot that I ever did which was actually my hip flexor muscles um on the 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 front it's like the front outer left and right side of my hips you know when you reach down and you feel the the top of the hip bone the iliac crest and you're right like on the on the frontal edge if you stand up and you shift your weight between your um between your your heels on your left and your right side and you stand up straight and shift your weight you'll see this muscle comes sticking out every time you shift your weight to the to the, that side the muscle comes and it kind of like protrudes out and flexes and then you shift your weight and then it flattens back against the hip again you shift your weight to the other heel so that muscle right there is like a perfect injection spot and it's really easy to see and it really accepts um foil really well and uh you can go three cc's in that spot and yeah it just works really really well and you can stabilize too if you want if you're worried about having shaky hands or something then since it's right on the front of your body like that so it's right between like where your femur inserts where your femur inserts into your hip bone it's that area uh on the out on the front outside where your hip is and so that area it doesn't give me pip like post injection pain um and 
you can do a full three cc's there and you can stabilize it and you can see it so it's great when people say uh how do you do glute injections well with glute injections some people do lie down but i've never done that um i just turn around because it's supposed to be in the upper outer part of your glute so i mean you don't really have to turn that far to do that and what i do is i just use one hand i don't use two hands to do it i just use one hand and so if i did my left glute then it would be my left hand that i'd have the syringe in and what i would do <laughs> is i would turn around so that like i was facing um facing the same direction as my my hip you know so i turned around like uh enough so that I was looking to my side now I'm looking to my left side and I'd take that left hand and I'd put it back behind me and I'd just kind of like dart the uh the needle like into my ass and and I'd <laughs> into my glute into my glute into my glute muscle I would dart it okay and uh that means that I would like quickly kind of go like kind of like you'd throw a dart <laughs> and I would do it just with one hand like that right into that spot I'd be holding the plastic on the the barrel of the syringe and I'd kind of dart it like that and then once it was in there a little bit then I would take the rest of my hand and I would slowly start like pushing it down like burying it into the muscle until it was all the way buried to the hilt and then I wouldn't pull back on the syringe or anything like that because, you know, it's going to be moving around on the way in there. And then if you pull back on the syringe to see if you're like in a vein or something, well, like as soon as you let go of the syringe, it like wobbles and shit too. It's not like veins are these massive things, you know, so it's, that's not going to be an issue. Um, that's the way that I do it. And, uh, so it's going to be wobbling around a bit anyways, too, when I'm putting it in, too, and that doesn't bother me. So then once it's buried to the hilt, the needle, I just go to the top of the plunger and I press it down with the meat of my hand, you know, like the meat of my thumb. I put that, I put uh, my fingers, like my middle fingers, my middle finger and my ring finger around the two little uh, protrusions on the barrel that stick out to help you push so I put my fingers there and then I put the not my thumb but I put the meat of behind my thumb on the plunger and I push that down I, I collapse the the plunger into the barrel of the needle um, and then after I've done that then uh, I wait about five seconds because if you don't wait a little bit then some of the oil can kind of like come like shooting out of the hole that you just made. And I don't like to do that because I just put it in there. So I don't want it coming out. Um, and uh, so I wait about five seconds. It's still buried to the hilt, you know, and, and the injection has been performed. And then uh, I'm like, okay, five seconds. And now then I pull it out and I pull it out fast. I just do it in one motion. I just go whoop and then it's out. Um, but when I put it in, you know, I'm put, I'm doing it slowly. It takes me maybe like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's probably how long it takes me to put it in. 
Like that's the speed of which I'm pressing the one inch needle until it's buried to the hilt. And then when I, uh, when I take it out, it's like, whoop, and that's, that's the whole thing. So like one or two seconds, one second, not two seconds. I just pull it right out. <laughs> and the time that it makes to go whoop, that's how long it takes me. And uh, then I immediately take my hand or a paper towel or a piece of toilet paper and I press that area immediately. Um, because if you don't do that, it can kind of like bleed more or cause you know, a lot of times it doesn't even bleed at all. Uh, but you know, maybe there's a drop of blood, but if you don't press it and you just like leave it, it can kind of like bleed for a little bit. So what I do is, uh, I just, I just immediately put my hand there and, uh, I put a lot of pressure on it and kind of like massage it, putting pressure in different angles there for maybe 15 seconds 10 to 15 seconds and then uh and then i i'm done i'm done that's it but the first thing that i do always though is i've always got alcohol um rubbing alcohol for antiseptic so for any injection i've either got alcohol pads that are the swabs or i've got just liquid alcohol that you know i would pour on to something like a, a piece of a paper towel and then like soaking it and then rubbing it around, cleaning the skin where you're going to do the injection, uh, before you do the, uh, before you do the injection. All right. So, yep. That's how I do the injections. Full little injection run down there for you. All right. We're going to get to the next question here. Uh, Moore asks, how do you use clenbuterol safely and what are its effects? Okay, clenbuterol is the most, it's the combination of the cheapest and the most potent fat burner. Human growth hormone uh, is probably the best fat burner. It's, it's kind of a tie with clenbuterol. They're the two most powerful fat burners and they can also both enhance your performance at the same time. So things like T3 that can't really be said for taking T3 all the time is not going to enhance your performance. Although T3 is a really good fat burner, but, uh, it's not better than clenbuterol or, uh, human growth hormone and T3 decreases your performance. So clenbuterol and human growth hormone are much better fat burners than T3 thyroid hormone. Um, clenbuterol can burn fat just by taking the tablets. If you are just eating like clean food um, and you're eating when you're hungry, so meaning you're not eating like junk food and things that are unnecessary, you know, you're just eating a good healthy diet. Um, you're not eating processed foods. You're eating, you know, a bro diet if that's what you're doing. And you occasionally, I'm meaning like a couple times a week, and not a couple days a week. I'm talking a couple times a week. Have something else. that That's fine. And then you use between... If you use about 80 micrograms of clenbuterol per day. Like 40 to 80 micrograms of clenbuterol per day. While doing that. And going to the gym and working out. Well, you'll start losing your fat. Um, that's I'm saying that if you use clenbuterol. And then you do those things. You diet like that and you go to the gym and just do your regular workouts with the weightlifting, 
like you will start losing fat. Uh, that's just the bottom line. And, and you don't have to starve yourself at all or go hungry at all. You just have to eat healthy food, go to the gym and take the clenbuterol and you will burn fat. Um, when you go up onto this stuff, it can be a little bit intense at first because it can make you shake. So, and it can also give you anxiety and it can also make you feel angry. So, um, you can start out at like 20 micrograms per day, or you can start out at 40 micrograms per day. And then, um, you can keep it like that, uh, for a week and then you increase it a bit. So after the, on the second week, take 40 micrograms or the second week, take 60 micrograms. And then, uh, like third week, take uh, a little bit more 60 to 80 micrograms or so and you'll get a really good fat burning effect out of that and then probably after three weeks take a two-week break it takes about two weeks for your receptors to get clean again and for it to have the same most powerful effect it will keep working if you just keep using it longer than three weeks but it won't work quite as good and so it'll have kind of diminishing effects and you'll get quite a tolerance to it and you'll definitely need to up the dose in order to keep it working the way that you want it to and that's usually how guys build up to dosages like because, you know, some people build up to dosages around 120, 160, 200 micrograms per day. Usually they come in 40 microgram tablets, um, which can have a pretty uh, it can have a pretty uh, noticeable effect on your heart when you do that. Also, it can, it'll make you really jittery and probably have a lot of anxiety and you can even kind of run into things on accident a little bit. It's kind of weird. Um but it, I mean, it burns fat really well. So clenbuterol burns fat excellently. And you know what? The best thing about using clenbuterol is fasted cardio. If you use clenbuterol and do fasted cardio, dude, when you're doing your cardio, this goes for human growth hormone too. When you take human growth hormone and on a empty stomach. So fasted human growth hormone and clenbuterol together is like, wow, that really works good. But <laughs> all you really need is clenbuterol. And you do fasted cardio and it's like all the energy for that walk that you do, you know, or that run or whatever you're doing for your cardio just comes from your fat and you start seeing the fat melt off of you. Fasted cardio works so good on clenbuterol. Same with human growth hormone. Uh, but yeah, you can keep on using it if you want, uh, but you'll probably end up upping the dosages. And there's pretty uncomfortable side effects, like really hard heart thumping and so like the heart muscle contracting really hard harder than you want it to or maybe you can look down at your chest and actually see your chest rising and falling and uh some like anxiety for irritation so it's clenbuterol is not a fun thing to take just in general it, it's stressful and i'd rather not have that stuff in my system but it's really effective and it's also really cheap Okay, next question is from Chicken Enjoy Gains. And Chicken Enjoy Gains says, What is a good cycle for someone who is not desperate for gains, is willing to wait to make long-term progress, and wants to affect health minimally while looking great and feeling great and performing like an enhanced lifter in the gym? Okay, cool. This sounds like a moderate guy. He's realistic, but at the same time, he's moderate. So <laughs> that's a good question, man. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you the answer that that you're looking for. 
So if you want a good cycle and you're not desperate for gains, you're willing to wait, make long-term progress, affect health mentally, look great, feel great, perform like enhanced lifter in the gym. Okay, well, the first thing is that you got to have a super physiological dosage of testosterone, okay? So that's going to be 500 milligrams per week. You know, 500 milligrams per week, it's possible, you know, very possible uh, to do to do that without having any bad effects on your health markers, like on your blood work. So if you make the effort and fiddle around enough with your diet and some supplements like that, uh, with some other supplements, like support supplements if you need them, but mostly just fiddling around with your diet, you can usually, most guys can get their blood work to look good, to be all, all good in the good range on 500 milligrams of testosterone per week. I'm not a medical doctor, and this is not medical advice. This comes from my experience. And uh, that's going to be a major one right there. And then, the, and then another one is going to be something like Deca or Primabolin, okay? Because they both come from, they're both used in humans, okay? You could say equipoise, but equipoise is meant for horses. But Primabolin and Deca have both been used in humans, studied in humans for years and years and years, okay? Ever since the 50s. And uh, they both have been found to be pretty safe, pretty healthy. And if you look at your blood work when you're on them, again, at low dosages, um, there really won't be anything wrong about that blood work. So, you know, you're not looking to get really big really fast, but you are looking to make long-term improvements. So 500 milligrams of testosterone with two to 400 milligrams uh, per week of DECA or Primobolin, or you could even go up to 500 milligrams of DECA or Primobolin per week to go with that. So one gram total of steroids. And then that would probably be the best dosage dosage is one gram. Uh, if you're actually trying to be a bodybuilder, if you're not desperate for gains, you don't need them like super fast, super quick, but you want to be a bodybuilder and you're looking for something that you can do long term that's going to not affect your health much and you have realistic expectations, then you know what? Something like, I wish I could tell you 250 milligrams per week and 250 milligrams of Primabolin per day, okay? Uh, or 250 milligrams of Deca per, per day, okay? But you know what? That's not going to be enough. That's not going to be enough. Um, you will plateau on that, uh, and you won't be looking, you won't, you'll be just barely, just barely starting to reach to where you want to go. <laughs> so, you know, and 500, uh, 500 testosterone and, and 200, um, Primobolin or Deca, that's, that's going to be a lot better. That's going to be a lot better. And then if you were wanting to be a little more aggressive, then 500 testosterone and 500 primobolin or deca would be enough to get you like jacked as hell uh if you were doing this for a long time and combining it with the next ingredient that i'm going to say which is pharmaceutical grade human growth hormone at two i use per day so contrary to popular belief human growth hormone does not see a long take a long time to see the effects it takes two to three days to see the effects after the first injection okay human growth hormone is one of the quickest drugs at making visual changes to your physique okay it burns fat like crazy and it also fills out your muscles and makes them more insulin sensitive while desensitizing your fat cells to insulin and makes you bigger 
in two to three days after that first injection. If it's not doing this for you, then, you know, it's not legitimate because this is what real human growth hormone, pharmaceutical-grade human growth hormone does. It makes a massive visual change to your appearance two to three days after the first injection. And all you need is two IUs per day taken once in the morning on an empty stomach when you wake up. And you will have this effect when you combine it with anabolic steroids at the same time. Okay? So, four IUs is better. Six IUs is even better. Um, and then, more than six IUs, you get diminishing returns. Uh, you start noticing, you know, you're getting more side effects and you're spending a lot of money and not getting qu near as much uh, bang for your buck, to say. And, uh, you know... Two I use really gives like a great effect of pharmaceutical grade growth hormone. I'm not kidding you. If you're using pharmaceutical grade, two I use per day, once in the morning, first thing when you wake up, injected into the stomach fat, makes a massive difference to everything you're doing with bodybuilding, to everything that you're doing. It makes everything else you take work better. And it makes you start looking really good. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. So that's what I would do. Uh, chicken joy gains for my cycle. If I was looking to make long-term progress, not desperate for gains, affect health mentally, look great, feel great, perform like an enhanced athlete, enhanced lifter in the gym, but not uh, be like real grouchy or, or anything like that, you know, only performing it like an enhanced lifter in the gym. Uh, well, then I would say around 500 milligrams of testosterone with... 200 to 500 milligrams of primobolin and deca or deca and two ius of and that's per week those steroids and then two ius of pharmaceutical grade human growth hormone like genotropin or nordotropin or serostim per day all right next question from mako shark how do you tell women about your steroid use how do i talk to my girlfriend about using steroids <laughs> well this is this is a funny one because people are programmed by their cultures okay so you can't run away from culture uh if you are in that culture and this is one of the things that i really learned from uh going around to different different countries in the world and my home country and everything and seeing that you know we are social animals and that uh, that prevailing thought of the majority will always have an effect on your mind and and you can you can have it matter to you in greater or lesser degrees but because we are social animals we feel this we feel this and we feel the pressure and there's no way that the uh, the group think does just have no effect on you it un unless you're like on drugs it has an effect on you <laughs> so and i don't mean the kind of i don't mean performance enhancing drugs i mean something else so uh with with talking to your girlfriend about it if you're living in a culture where steroids you know male hormones are thought of as evil well you know what saying that word that word steroids is going to always cause problems, okay? So the first thing you need to do is not refer to it by that word because that word is, like, so tainted and, like, criminalized, you know? Um, 
one of the things uh, with with that with that word is that the whole word for it is sex steroids. So if you say steroids in the way that you say uh, the steroids that build muscles, then that definitely includes um, birth control pills because birth control pills are also sex steroids. Like that's why they call steroids steroids because they're sex steroids, okay? And the natural sex steroids of males and females are dihydrotestosterone, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone and estrone. Those are the natural sex steroids, okay? And then the male category is things like testosterone or dihydrotestosterone and then derivatives or products of those hormones. Or there's things that are mixed with testosterone and progesterone, the female hormone, uh, one of the female hormones like DECA and Trenbolone. Or there's uh, estrogens and the different estrogen-related molecules or that scientists have made little alterations in labs to make the little bits of estrogen molecules uh, a little bit differently and suppress the uh, the estrogen cycle or the sorry the menstrual cycle uh, more effectively uh, and prevent an egg from being released so birth control pills work on the same principles as steroids work to limit fertility so it's the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis so the gonads the testicles or ovaries and the hypothalamus and the brain and the pituitary gland in the brain uh, when you short circuit that hypothalamic uh, pituitary gonadal axis then the reproductive system shuts off and the way that you short circuit that is adding outside hormones or sex steroids to the body uh, steroids from the outside, sex steroids from the outside. So birth control tablets are female sex steroids in tablet form. And so they, they take the tablets and then their hypothalamus recognizes, hey, here's the estrogen progesterone that uh, we need in the body. We already have a high enough levels. So then it shuts off the hypothalamus from releasing gonadotrophin releasing hormone, which then shuts off the pituitary gland from releasing luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone okay and then that makes their ovaries not release an egg okay so that's how birth control works and that's also the same reason why when you're taking steroids if you are not uh, if you are not taking HCG at the same time then you're not going to be fertile okay because like literally taking birth control is taking steroids like and it works the exact same way on their fertility as it works for yours there is literally absolutely zero difference between taking the birth control and taking muscle building steroids in the effect that they have on a female body and a male body it's the exact same thing so the first thing with talking to your girlfriend about taking steroids is that she has to know that that if she's ever taken birth control pills she has taken steroids or if she's taken birth control shot you know whatever any kind of hormone treatment for her fertility then she has taken steroids and you know, then it just comes down to, oh, well, you know, why does the government provide females with their steroids for free and say it's like some kind of human right? But with the, the male hormone, testosterone, and the hormones that can come from it, why are they considered evil, something you can't speak of, something not to be proud of, an illegal drug, and you know, something that they're like threatening you to like be taken to jail for, you know, you really start seeing, you know, that is corrupt. And there's a lot of really corrupt systems and corrupt things happening in our society right now. You talk about what they're teaching uh, students in colleges. 
uh, and universities, it's it's really it's really uh, destroying the Western society and especially um, the white people. Like the white people of the world in the West are under attack right now, and uh, <laughs> you know it's crazy that I'm talking about this when when you talk about how do I talk to my girlfriend using steroids, but you know. You have to be blind to see that, uh, you know, things are not uh, being tilted uh, to frame to frame white people as uh, the devil and stuff like that. So by the media and by universities, schools, etc. So telling your girlfriend about it, you just got to tell her that, you know, that's what they are is their sex steroids, their hormones, their male hormones. They're not some kind of diabolical molecule. They're not meth. <laughs> they're freaking hormones, man. They're hormones and they don't change. They don't get you high. They don't change the way you feel too much. So, you know, those are telling her, telling her, you know, what you're doing. If you feel inclined to tell her, you know, what you're doing, because she might not know um you can tell her that but the real thing man is that if you want to do something you just just do it okay because uh it's your life and why would you need permission to do something with your life and your body from a woman that doesn't make any sense so if you want to do it then just do it and tell her that you're doing it all right, next question. Jorge says, holy shit, do you believe one gram of test is responsible for your recent strength gains? Um, he has seen people doing roids for a long time and they don't have that kind of strength. Okay. What I wanted to tell you, what so he's asking about how how to get strong and how to use uh, Jorge's asking about how to get strong and how to use roids for strength. Yes, high dosage testosterone um, is seriously beneficial to this, and I mean since since the seventies and eighties, and you know possibly even earlier, guys um, in American and European gyms for powerlifting would be taking one vial of testosterone. So 2,500 milligrams of testosterone per week. Um, and often similar dosages of DECA at the same time. Uh, but for some, just the testosterone alone. So the synergy of carbohydrates and testosterone makes you really strong, really fast. And when I, uh, do that high testosterone above one gram, and I combine that with a high carbohydrate diet, um, I will be when, when I first start doing that each time, I will be adding uh, five to ten pounds on the weight that I use on every single lift uh, for and I'll be adding that every workout. Uh, so the same amount of reps. So one workout, you know, I'm doing the dumbbell bench with like 120 pounds each hand for 10 reps or something. Well, you know what? The next workout, you know, if I was eating enough carbs and I was on that much testosterone, you know, over a gram, uh, preferably a little more than a gram, you know, I, I could legitimately be, you know, lifting 130 pound dumbbells for 10 reps the next workout, or that's a little bit much because it's dumbbells. I would like to say 125s, but they don't have 125s at my gym. 
uh, because that would be a little more realistic. But, you know, five to 10 pounds increase on bench for the same amount of reps, squat, deadlift, etc. That's it's really impressive. The strength gains that you can get from high testosterone and a high carb diet. And one of the most important things is sugar uh, right after the workout. If you're looking for that strength and also if you're looking for that size and pumps to the maximum is the first thing that you do when you finish that workout is you eat like sugary candy and the muscles soak it up so fast it's crazy. Uh, if you add oral steroids or trenbolone to high dosage testosterone too, above one gram, that's where those steroids really shine. When you just use like high dosage anadrol or um, high dosage trenbolone or something, but the the uh, the testosterone isn't high enough. Yeah, it's good, but. The synergy of having more than one gram, one gram or more of testosterone, sorry, or a minimum of 750 milligrams testosterone per week is going to make such an incredible difference in your performance in the gym and how big you get and just your whole steroids experience in general. So, yeah, you need to be using a high dosage of testosterone in order to be getting the most out of every other steroid you use. So, and you can use lower dosages with the other steroids too. If you're using over a gram of testosterone, a gram or more, then things like 50 to 100 milligrams of anadrol uh, per day, or 350 milligrams trenbolone per week, or 10 to, mm, 20 to 30 milligrams superdrol per day, or 30 to 50 milligrams, or even up to 100 milligrams of dianabol per day. It will like set those other compounds on fire, okay? When you have the high testosterone and you take those kinds of dosages, which aren't that high of those other compounds, it will set them on fire and you'll have the greatest cycles. That's the thing with testosterone is that when you have a lot of it in your blood, oh my gosh, it just makes the other steroids like, it's like pouring gasoline all over them. It's like giving them NOS. Okay, and then human growth hormone takes that up another level. But instead of just doing it in in that way, it, it does it in a in its own way where it just makes your whole body look better. It just makes everything look better. Uh, pretty pretty incredible drugs. But the thing is, is that these are both bioidentical hormones that have this effect. These really amazing, incredible effects. So human growth hormone, testosterone, your body knows exactly what to do with both of those chemicals because it makes them naturally. You give them good dosages of those coming from the outside and your body responds. That's, I mean, point blank. That's the way it is. Your body knows exactly what to do with them. And then you throw on little dosages of other things like a little bit of clenbuterol, a little bit of dianabol, a little bit of anadrol, a little bit of superdrol, a little bit of trenbolone, uh, medium bit of primobolin, uh, medium bit of deca, stuff like that. You know, if you put on any of those things and you put in that with those high dosages of testosterone with a dosage like two to four IUs per day of pharmaceutical grade growth hormone, that's when the magic happens. That's when you get the physiques that you see. That's what you get the physiques that you say. You say, wow, you see that and you think that looks like alien. Like, how could I ever get my body to look like that? Like that does not look like something that, that, you know, it, it looks like this, it's not the same species or something. 
if you ever look at like pictures and you're wondering about that like doing these things okay that's the high testosterone dosage with a moderate human growth hormone level with a bit of this other stuff sprinkled in these other anabolics sprinkled in this is where you're gonna you know when you start doing that on a regular basis well that's when you start getting the look that you know you see and you think they come they got to be from another planet man they've got something i don't have this is what starts uh this is what starts doing that for you bringing that into the picture all right next question is from body power and he says i like your opinion regarding long esters deca bold none with half-lives of 14 days plus I know back in the day it was not uncommon to inject every two weeks. I see the sense in this, but what is your point of view? Yeah, back in the old days they did inject less frequently. They would inject things like a lot of testosterone wasn't really used except for with power lifters, okay? Until the 90s, really. Before that, before the 90s, bodybuilders weren't really big testosterone users or big testosterone fans. They just weren't. Most people before the 90s, your average bodybuilder did not use testosterone. Some did use a bit, but your average bodybuilder did not before in the 90s. That's just the way it was. Uh, most of them used D-ball as a replacement for testosterone. They used D-ball because D-ball has a lot of testosterone's effects and used to be prescribed for TRT at 10 to 15 milligrams per day by doctors in the 50s, 60s. So most of them were using D-ball instead of testosterone to get those biological uh, effects, proper sexual functioning, etc. And they would combine this with DECA or Boldenon equipoise. Um, and yeah, they would take the, the tablets every day or they'd take the, the Winstrol or they'd take the Anivar. Those were all popular. Uh, but they, they would take sometimes something like 400, 600 or 300 or even 200 milligrams of Deca or Boldenone, sometimes Primabolin, but most people couldn't get that per week. Um, but some guys took huge dosages. Like some guys were taking, like, you know, okay. Some guys were taking dosages like three cc's per day of Deca, so like 300 milligrams per day of Deca, and they would do that every day. And so they'd get, you know, two grams of Deca per week. And then other guys were running those smaller dosages. Um, generally, as far as your question goes with uh, how often to inject them, man, these things always work better when you're hitting it like over and over and over again. It's like consistency matters so much in bodybuilding. And yeah, like they work fine. You know, obviously those guys, you know, a lot of those golden era, era guys were injecting less frequently. And yeah, they worked fine. But uh, like doing it like that, it worked fine, but it's going to be more effective to be injecting it all the time. And you just notice this with bodybuilding in general and then performance enhancing drugs in general too, with like every single one of them, it's like the more consistently you're hitting it and the more consistently you're giving your body that stimulus, uh, the more consistently you're doing that training the right way, the more consistently you're hitting that same food every day with the diet every day. It's like everything just falls into place more efficiently and better. And that's the way that I've felt even with testosterone like like enanthate or or cypionate or sustenon. 
it's like, you know, those long Esther ones. It's like, yeah, it doesn't really make too much of a difference, but it does make a bit of a difference going from injecting only once per week to three times per week or, you know, even those ones every day. I've done that, injected them every day. Um, and they just work better like that. They, they just do. Hitting that signal all the time. Bro science alert. Bro science alert. So, yeah, same with the DECA and Boldenon. I always think that hitting hitting uh, whatever you're using as often as possible, if you're looking for the best results, is the best way to do it. But do you need to do that? No. How often do I inject an anthate? I inject it two or three times per week. How often would I inject DECA or Boldenon? I would inject it two or three times per week. You know, that's just my personal preference. Will it work if you're doing it once an injection once every one week? Yeah, that'll probably be if you want to do it the most efficiently, then at once per week should be the minimum, I think. And then if you want to make it uh, not quite as efficient, but still working good, then you could go once every two weeks. There's these uh, tools online. One of them used to be called steroidcalc.com. I don't know if it's still a website. I don't know if it's still available. But this website, steroidcalc.com, had a uh, a graph. And you could graph your cycle and look at you know, how many milligrams of hormone were going to be released on what day compared uh, to how, m- how many injections you were doing per week and how often you were injecting per week. And it would show you you know, where your levels would be each day during the cycle based on the injections and the information that you put into the graph. Uh, So that's a tool if you would like to see where your blood levels are at. It used to be called steroidcalc.com. I don't know if that's still the website, but steroid cycle calculator on Google, that should get you there. Next question is from Zach. Um, Next cycle planning on incorporating equipoise into the mix as a main mass driver probably 350 to 500 milligrams testosterone and 6 to 800 milligrams equipoise however i've heard equipoise can have a strange effect in some users where it crashes estradiol i've only heard this from my juice head friends so your opinion on the matter would be appreciated man yeah it does so so uh equipoise creates a different kind of estrogen than estradiol so there's two main estrogens that are natural and one's called estradiol and one is called estrone and so those are abbreviated estradiol is e2 and estrone is e1 so if you use a bolinon equipoise when the aromatase enzyme the thing that transforms uh, male hormones into female hormones but it only does it to some of them like it transforms testosterone into estrogen but then something like winstrol it can't even the aromatase enzyme can't interact with winstrol so it does nothing um but when it interacts with the aromatase enzyme interacts with equipoise boldenon it turns it into estrone or e1 instead of testosterone turns it into when it when testosterone interacts with the aromatase enzyme it turns into estradiol or e2 and that's the more potent estrogen in the body estrone is a less potent estrogen in the body they both hit estrogen receptors uh, but estradiol is more potent than estrone so on a blood test if you were using equipoise without testosterone at the same time 
and you went to get an estrogen test and they tested for your estradiol E2 levels, well, they might come back up at zero because since you didn't have any testosterone being converted to estradiol and you only had equipoise in your blood being converted to estrone, well, they're probably not going to be having uh, estrone E1 reading when the data for the test is usually always estradiol levels E2. So that's how that would work. If you added testosterone at the same time, then that wouldn't be a problem. That wouldn't happen. That would only happen like that where it crashed the estradiol, uh, which I don't even know if that would be a problem. I don't think that would be a problem. Uh, I mean, DECA does this too, and people love DECA only without testosterone. Uh, they say it works way better, the guys who do that. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't use DECA with no testosterone, but the guys that do, they say that they like that and that it's way better than with testosterone. All right, next question is from Jax. Is that true that after six to eight weeks, we need to switch steroids to keep myostatin low? And it seems that lots of pros don't switch between steroids. Yeah, so myostatin is kind of like SHBG. Actually, the more steroids that you take, the lower that myostatin gets. And also, there's good data that creatine lowers myostatin. Uh, but, you know, the main motto of the story with steroids is that more is always better and that the more you take, the bigger and stronger you get, okay? So whenever we reduce the dosage or stop taking them, uh, you go backwards, you know? So it's always more is better, always seems to be the theme. Uh, not that that's a good thing or a good modus operandi, a good way to do it, but it just seems to be the fact. If we're just looking at the facts, that seems to be the way it is. Uh, next question is, Marco, I have Primobolin tested here. It's tested 92 milligrams per milliliter, but Primo will not do the same with food, right? Does Primobolin work on low calories like Trenton? Eat shit and look lean. No, no, Primobolin doesn't work like that. Uh, Primobolin, it will act like a force field around your muscle and prevent you from losing any muscle when you're not... Uh, when you're not eating a lot of calories, eating a low calorie diet, and it can still give a cosmetic effect like that, but it doesn't like build muscle and like burn fat at the same time and have this crazy, uh, effect where it like takes over your metabolism and whatever you do, you're getting more muscle building and hard and muscular and shit like that all at the same time. Like trenbolone does, it doesn't do that in order to build muscle on primobolin, you got to eat food on it. Um, but, uh, it will protect your muscle very effectively in a diet stuff like Primobolin, Anivar, Trenbolone, most effective drugs and human growth hormone, most effective drugs for maintaining muscle on a diet. If you would like your questions to be answered on the steroids podcast, go to steroidspodcast.com. And leave a comment with your questions or email or private message steroidspodcast at gmail.com or steroidspodcast on Instagram. Until next time.